This is David Suisa. Welcome to my podcast. David Siegel in the house. David, how are you? It's good to be back, David. Uh, Consul General for how many years? Five years? Five years. Western United States. Southwest, seven states. Southland. Um, what was that like, David? It was an amazing experience, uh, probably the top of what I ever did before. And I spent 10 years in Washington at the Israeli embassy, but it was nothing like working inside the community, in our community, but in other communities as well, working in seven states, seeing the future of America unfold uh, through its minorities, its diversity, uh, the various Jewish communities and the tensions between them and uh, there was a lot to do here, um, and it was a gratifying experience. I don't think I went to one event and you weren't there. I mean, how many times did you have to put on different suits every day? And did that uh, that's unbelievable how often you were out there, David, for years and years. You were out there every night. Thank you. And you were usually there with me. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a really kind of relentless kind of job where you're always out there dealing with the different communities and really representing Israel, correct? Yes, and that, that was always my passion, uh, and I enjoyed it, and I, I know that it was important for the community. Uh, and we made it our business to be in most uh, major events, not only in the L.A. area, but throughout the whole region. And now you represent an organization where your playground is completely different. So you're going from the Western United States to all of Europe, essentially, right? LNET is the organization you run that some people have called it the European APAC, if you will. So that has been your playground now for how long? Just about two and a half years since mm -hmm. I retired from the foreign ministry. Uh, and the reason uh, I joined the uh, LNET, which is the European Leadership Network, uh, is because we're exposed in Europe. Uh, Europe is very important. I don't think there's a doubt after 2018 where we saw the spike in anti-Semitism and the state of Jewish communities uh, throughout that continent, uh, how, par how important Europe is not only for, for the Jewish world, but, but also for Israel. It's Israel's largest trading partner. It has a thing or two to say about global diplomacy, uh, although many belittle Europe, but Europe still plays a very important role in the Security Council and all the world institutions, and it's very important for Israel's security. And if we don't have networks of support in Europe like we have in the United States, then Israel is exposed. Uh, and this is the reason why I joined LNET, and uh, there's a method, there's a methodology, there's a way of doing things. Uh, I meet too many Jews in this country, here in the United States, and I just came from a, a major conference up north where people just say Europe is lost, and Europe is lost. It's 28 countries, 28 political systems, left, right, center. I think there's a one whole world the, out there. I think one of the reasons, David, is there's a sense when you look at Israel's diplomacy over the past <clears throat> decade or so, <clears throat> There's a sense that um, so much of the emphasis has been on, you know, China, India, Africa, Asia, you know, different areas where South, South America, where uh, Israel has not yet, you know, uh, been developed as opposed to Europe. Whereas there's a sense that, you know, every time you hear about the European Union, uh, they're trying to label products in the West Bank and so forth. There seems to be a hostility that comes, that emanates from Europe that we don't feel from other places. So I think a lot of what you see here uh, is a reaction to Israel's priorities overseas, which seems to be in the non-European area. Well, we certainly have priorities all over the world, and I would divide the world into two parts. 
the majority of the world, the Chinas, the Indias, the Japans, the Koreas, uh, the African countries, and so on, the majority of the countries in the world look at Israel as a source of opportunity for them, a self-interest yeah, on the part of those countries. They need it. They need the agriculture. They need the defense technologies. They need all of that. And there are pockets in the world, uh, in this country as well, of course, but certainly in Europe, where Israel has a much more difficult time. And that means we need to double down in those places yeah. where we have difficulty. Yeah, there's, there's, the, Europe feels different. There's, there, it has the glory of its history, its long past, its complicated and dark history in many places, but there's a sense more of an arrogance uh, in Europe, the cradle, the Renaissance, and so much of the Western world's progress over the centuries that uh, it said, how dare us, we're going to need a little country like Israel. It's almost the opposite. There's a sense from the European you know, statement that we should need them a lot more than they need Israel, if you will. Does that make any sense? You know, it, it does, and yeah. I think you know if you look at Israel's history from day one, uh, our debate, our arguments, our fights were with the Europeans over the British mandate. It's true. <laughs> uh, it's uh, so the true. The 1950s, the 60s, the romance with France, and then the big breakup that exploded True. sky high before the Six-Day War, before the Americans became, uh, America became Correct. Israel's main ally. Very complicated history. And, With and Europe. Obviously a complex and tragic history for our people as well. But Europe is changing. The last 10 years, uh, and this is uh, an irony that I think it's, it's worth really exploring, Israel took off economically around 2008, just at the time of the global economic uh, meltdown. And Europe was facing its worst times. Israel was, was booming. We discovered the offshore gas. Suddenly, Israel became a, a, a gas power, a technology power, a financial power. Uh, and all of this is happening in the last 10 years, just as the Middle East is imploding with a quote-unquote, we used to call it the Arab Spring. Well, it's been eight years now, nine years now of not very spring-like uh, uh, atmosphere. And we're, we're, we're near a decade now where Europe has been buffeted by immigration, refugees, uh, terrorism attacks, um, um, uh, political tumult. Brexit. Brexit, and all of this is as a result, a response to, to the changing world around Europe, whether from, from Russia, the Middle East, from Africa. So they're buffeted from all directions. And their attitude is changing slightly. Um, and they're starting to look at the world in a, in a way that converges or could converge with the way Israel looks at the world. It's not just about human rights, post-World War II, you know, engagement, dialogues, be nice to the world, but they realize that they need to protect their borders, they need to be more focused on security like Israel. And this is where they look at Israel as an opportunity, just like other countries, including the Arab countries. Yeah, one of the speaking of ironies is post second second world war nationalism really took a beating in europe you know nationalism was associated with the two worst wars in human history and just as nationalism became less and less popular israel is really the epitome of a nationalist sovereign movement so that also hurt the relationship between israel and and europe it did. And, and when we say Europe, I think we need to distinguish also between the individual countries in, in Western and, and Eastern Europe and then the, 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 you know, the European institutions where we have more difficulties. On a state-to-state -state level, if you, you know, just look at the latest news, you see that Greece, Cyprus, not only doing military work with Israel, but economic work and energy work and uh, summits and together with the United States that, that just took place and we're constructing the deepest and longest under undersea uh, gas pipeline between Israel and, and Cyprus and Greece now, with Italy, 
part of that as well. So you see that on a state-to-state -state level, the interests are very, very strong and deep. And even in the more difficult countries, Germany, France, despite the, the, the debates over policy, when you, when you look at the economic interests and the, the corporation interests, they're very, very strong. And this is where Elnet uh, hopes to have impact. Uh, because the ignorance is very high, the level of ex exchanges is very low. We don't see that many politicians from Europe coming to Israel, or Europeans going, or Israelis going to Europe. If you look at um, members of Congress that come to Israel, the estimate is from APAC and others that around 80% uh, of 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 the Congress comes to Israel. Uh, in Europe, it's around 10%. There's a kinship between Americans on the street and Israel that I don't find in Europe. This kind of, I mean, as, to the extent that one can generalize uh, on, the, on the street level. Uh, I mean, you look at the, the leadership of France and Germany, they often say great things about Israel. But on a street level, there seems to be um, a lack of kinship between the average European and Israel. Where does that come from? Is that the large Muslim population that just the anti-Israel well, there, there are different parts from, for this. Let, let's start for, with the fact that there's a, a completely different uh, worldview uh, between how Israel uh, took its, its response and its uh, uh, conclusions from, from the Holocaust, from World War II on in, in the 70 years of Israel's history, which again is very much based on our own national interest, building our defense, building our country, and the Europeans uh, as, you, as you just said, David, uh, uh, took a different turn and, and looked at the world in, in much different lenses. But again, there's a convergence now. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, uh, this is a complex map. So you have, you have those who are indulging in anti-Semitism. You have Muslim immigration that in, in some cases is very extreme in, in terms of their ideology that they took to Europe with them that doesn't even reflect what they left back home. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Middle East in 2014 when Israel fought Hamas, in Gaza with a rocket fire on Israel, uh, the demonstrations against Israel were not in the Middle East. They were in the Europe. The Middle East, right, yeah. they were in Europe. Uh, the yeah. Arab states look at Hamas as, as Muslim Brotherhood, enemies of, 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 of the Arab Sunni countries. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it was different because the immigration or the ideologies that migrated to Europe with the immigrants uh, in some cases were so extreme. Uh, so, so you certainly have pockets of extremism in Europe, uh, but we're looking at the mainstream politicians and uh, the challenge that we have there is that the politicians are ignorant. They don't know enough about Israel, even though Israel's very close, it's a southern neighbor right across the Mediterranean, which really is a pond if you look at the world. Uh, but you'd be surprised by how ignorant they are. They don't know that Israel is a source of innovation. Uh, in many cases, we hear European politicians afraid to come to Israel because of the security uh, uh, threats there that they perceive. Uh, they don't understand that Israel is a global uh, innovation center. They think that Israel is like North Africa. So there's, there's ignorance that we need to pierce. And, and who do you work with specifically at Enlot? Do you work with the, the politicians? Top down. The, top down. From the top. As high as we can reach. So this year, uh, Elnet brought 120 members of parliament from France to Israel. Mm -hmm. So since Macron was, was elected uh, a little over a year ago, we've brought 25% of the French parliament to Israel. Is uh, France a priority for you, David? Well, France is an important country. Germany is an important mm -hmm. country. Brussels, uh, obviously, is, is the center of the EU institutions and, mm -hmm. and NATO. But when it comes to the nation states in Europe, France and Germany are certainly our priority, Germany mm -hmm. on, on the economic side. France uh, does tend to lead Europe when it comes to uh, the diplomatic uh, uh, outreach or policy of, of the continent. So it is very, very important for us. And Israel. how do you me measure success? 
So when we see 120 members of the French parliament come to Israel and mm -hmm. then go back home and then forge anti-Semitism committees and then mm -hmm. chairmen that are fighting anti-Semitism at home and now they're talking about legislation, codification, Correct. fighting BDS, pushing back against government funding by the tens of millions of euro of radical groups that are not only anti-Israel but ultimately are anti-France as well. And mm -hmm. if you empower these groups, even though they may in, indulge in some charity during the day, but what they're doing at night is something that, that they need to know about. So once we highlight that, and once we work through French politicians to highlight that, and once they realize that it's in their interest, not just inter Israel's interest, but in the future of France, to fight back against radicalism, then we're starting to see results. I think you brought, uh, Elnet, you brought a couple of years ago, you brought Manuel Valls to LA to speak, and he'd made we that did. famous statement without the Jews, France is not France. It was something like that. He did. He, he, he said that publicly as prime minister uh, at the time, and he said it again here in Los Angeles. And he also said at the time that anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are the same thing. And now we're seeing President Macron, the current president of France, come out and publicly say before the Jewish community two weeks ago in response to the rapid rise in anti-Semitism in France that anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism is the same thing, and they plan to find ways to criminalize both. So we have an opportunity now, because the situation is so bad and the politicians are so aware of the problems in France and elsewhere, to codify new laws, uh, to have the international definition of anti-Semitism accepted by more and more European countries, because the only way to fight anti-Semitism is to mobilize the governments. How else do you do it? The courts, the governments, the agencies, law enforcement, to fight back. Well, you know, one of the things that concerns us here in America is <clears throat> the fact that despite this incredible support from the top, that the anti-Semitism seems to continue at the street level. There comes a point where there's just so much a government could do, so the fact that it's still there despite the support is really of major concern to us. Well, David, uh, it's, uh, the concern is totally appropriate, and it's late in the day. But we have yeah. to start somewhere, and we have to start uh, with, with, with the troops that we have, with the friends that we have. And that's what uh, Bernard-Henri Lévy was here a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him, and to his credit, you know, he, he said, it is bad. It is bad for the Jews, but I'm going to fight. He says, you know, and I love France, and the Jews of France, they love France. They've really integrated in the culture of France, and as much as many of them end up going to Israel, he says, I'm, I'm going to fight. And he, he was just very honest about it. He said, it's bad, but we're fighting. And whatever we can do, I think some of the anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, anti-Jewish thing that's preached in certain parts of France, especially in mosques, I think he's working on that. There are some interfaith efforts that are happening to try to minimize some of the radicalization of the youth because if you know a generation ago you didn't have that sort of anti-semitism that was as bad as it is now well we're back to the problem of technology it could be very helpful when it's uh, positive but very very dangerous when it's negative and the fact that islamist groups that jihadists can freely operate online with no checks and balances mm -hmm. on the part of the european governments the fact that you can beam in uh, radical uh, uh, satellite uh, 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 TV uh, uh, images into Europe, into the immig immigrant communities from the Middle East is a problem, and it needs to be it needs to be fought. And there are ways to do this. I looked at a magazine from ISIS once because you know it's my background. I love design, and I'm sitting there, David, saying, "Oh my God, this design is brilliant." 
Like, They're very sophisticated. It's so sophisticated. This is from the worst, disgusting terrorist group you can imagine that would, that would chop heads off on radio. And I'm looking at this incredibly sophisticated magazine with layout. Even the name, I think, was called Inspire. And the, the, the writing and the headlines and the design, I'm thinking, wow, th these guys are scary. They are. And, uh, just because they didn't create it doesn't mean they don't know how to use it. And they're very, very effective in using it. And they don't have the checks and balances that we have uh, in, in democracies. So it's very dangerous and it's an asymmetry. But there are ways of fighting back. And the best way to fight back, I'll tell you from my experience, is a 30-year uh, person that's been in, in, involved in diplomacy all over the world for 30 years, including here in, in L.A., the best way is to forge self-interest, to align self-interest. If the French realize that the future of France is at stake because the radical left is feeding on the radical right and the radical right is hitting back and uh, uh, Islamic radicalism is, is, is leaning to uh, dan dangers on the right, then you'll have the center rise. And this is what we're trying to nurture. Bring the center yeah. to fight back. I remember when I wrote a column about you, that, that was the big thing I got from your five years, that uh, America needs Israel. That was, the, that, that was your one strategy line. So you would go into the inner city and it was like postpartum depression from gang warfare. And then you, you would bring in an expert from Israel on postpartum. I mean, it all came down to that, David. Interest, right? And then whether it was the LGBTQ community or, or the inner cities or the Hispanic or the Asian community or Hollywood, it was always like, well, Israel can do something for us. Isn't that what it came down to? And all the, the uh, uh, Hollywood shows that came out of Israel, the ideas, and I think you, you seem to be continuing with that strategy. It's uh, <laughs> from my first day in the, in the Foreign Service. You know, I, I was gunning for Washington. I thought they were going to send me to Washington because of my English and my experience, and one of our ambassadors there really I wanted me I to come. I think I called it Tachlis. Tachlis, yeah. right. Tachlis diplomacy. That was the headline. <laughs> You're still doing Tachlis. So, so they sent me to Eritrea in the Horn of Africa, and I spent two years building farms, Israeli experts teaching Africans how to use drip irrigation to grow these crazy things in the hottest place in the world. So you're not thinking, so, are they Jewish? Do I like him? Do I not like him? No emotion. Just these, wherever they come from, these people from Israel, they're just helping me grow uh, vegetables and fruit. If, if, if there's nothing in it for you, why would you support us? Right. So let's right. find what's you in it for you. You just transcended emotion. You transcend PR. You transcend all of that stuff, and you just go right to a place of common interest. Yeah, and, and look at the world. Look at look. Our diplomats tell me, and the economists tell me, they don't even have they don't have the time to reach out or to respond to all the requests coming into Israel from all over the world for agriculture, for seeds, for water technologies. Seriously, I'm I'm telling you, uh, cybersecurity, counterterrorism. They don't even know where to start. It's like drinking out of a fire hydrant. So, and, and then we hear that Israel's in crisis in its relations with the world. Come on, this is, is unbelievable. And it is all based on self-interest. Now, there are countries where there are ideological disputes. And ideology is not a program. And, and, and look, in Europe, the, they still have a, a, an envoy to monitor the peace process. Mm -hmm. Let's think about that for a minute. There's no peace process to monitor. I <laughs> wish there was, but there isn't right now for many, many complex reasons that we can talk about today. But they still have that job to monitor the peace process. So the Europeans need to understand that the Middle East has changed and that you know Israel and the Sunni countries and their relationship has changed. You don't see enough recognition of that. Uh, I Europe. think one, one of the problems with <clears throat> uh, hatred, especially hatred that's religious-based, uh, is that you tend to forget your own self-interest. 
Um, and this is what I think we've seen in the Middle East for so long. There's been, they've, been, they've been taught Jew hatred and Israel hatred to the sense that you, your interests become secondary. And I think if you get to a point, like right now we're seeing with Egypt and Saudi Arabia, it looks like the idea of their self-interest is percolating up to the surface. So, you know, it's transcending any kind of emotional uh, hatred for the Jews and let's see what they can do for us. But I think that's been a big stumbling block in the coexistence between Israel and Arab nations is the fact that they have not looked at it in terms of self-interest and, and, and using Israeli know-how because the hatred has transcended that. But that's changing, uh, at least in the leadership. Um, and, and here we need to work on the social media networks and make sure that the, the poison, the poison of, of the ideologies, the hateful ideologies out there, are, are, are controlled and contained because that's the only chance to get a change in, in, in the mass uh, change in point of view. But leadership understands today in, in, in the Gulf countries, in Egypt, in Jordan, in North Africa, that Israel's critical. Look, right. the superpowers have shifted. You know, uh, America's interest uh, and, and focus is not as intense on the Middle East as it used to be. The Arab states were used to having America as the guarantee of their security. And now they look at Israel as a guarantee of their security. So let's say you get a meeting with the top uh, imam in France who preaches and he's listened to by millions, right? And you have a meeting with him. How does self-interest come into play? What's in it for him to preach coexistence with the Jews, to preach to condemn anti-Semitism? What's in it for him? Well, without getting into names, because we are in a public forum, uh, there are imams that are stepping up, and some of them are joining uh, Elnet and coming to Israel with delegations of young Muslim leaders from France, from Belgium, from elsewhere, and we want to see more of that, because like you said, people are waking up and understanding that hate is not, is not going to be a program for their own community, and they need to protect their communities, and they need to develop. Because unfortunately, what they've seen for too long is that, th you know, they use... Jew uh, hatred as a diversion from their failures. We've seen that in the Middle East. So in a way, it's a, it's a perverted kind of way of looking at self-interest where they see a self-interest in promoting Jew hatred because in terms of self-preservation for their power. So uh, an, an imam that's radicalized in France, uh, he may see self-interest in promoting supremacism, and that uh, Islam is, is the best religion and it's superior to others and it's superior to the infidel. How do you convince an imam like that that there's a self-interest in coexistence and in fighting anti-Semitism? How do you do that? You know, By nurturing relationships mm -hmm. with those on the uh, Muslim side that do want to do better for their community and do realize that radicalism is poisonous, and there are. Uh, and I'm telling you, they're joining our network and they're coming to Israel with us and to other places with us as rising leaders that want to bring change in their own communities. The most powerful argument I, I heard on that is that it desecrates the name of their own God. That the, the preaching of, of violence and hatred desecrates the name of Allah. Yes, and I think there's less fear uh, and there's, mm -hmm. uh, there's more ability today uh, to have other voices, and, but they need to be nurtured, they need to be empowered. Uh, and we have a lot to do with that. We need to help bring those voices to the fore. Uh, and we need to show uh, what Israel can bring to the world. Look, you know, the, the joke in Israel is that uh, the kid that, uh, you know, uh, uh, emails uh, a friend in Israel and says, do you have ways in Israel? Does it work in Israel? <laughs> you know, that's a joke. I mean, ways was created in Israel, as, as yeah. your listeners know. 
But the fact that people don't know that it's Israeli technology is, is somewhat of a challenge, and we need to overcome that. You know, it's funny. I, I, I use Waze all the time. And sometimes after the 15 turn off a little side street, I'm thinking to myself, does this Israeli algorithm designer trying to save me five seconds? <laughs> Am I making these 15 turns just to save five seconds? I, I, sorry for the diversion. But it is a, an amazing <laughs> thing, the fact that uh, what Waze has done. Let's go back to Europe. Uh, tell me about your staff in Europe. Uh, who does the day-to-day work? You, you run Elnet out of Israel. How often do you go to Europe? What's your staff like in Europe? What do they do on a day-to-day basis? So there are 28 countries in Europe currently, uh, unless Britain finally uh, completes this, uh, this Brexit uh, exit uh, process, which is very we much up in the should rename it Balagan. And, and there are those that say yeah. that this thing will never really happen and Britain will stay part of it. So we'll, we'll say 28. What a mess. Yeah, well, it's a mess. Is. But this is, this is a sign of our time and the crisis in all democracies and in the West and, and, and so on. But uh, to answer your question, there are 28 countries. We're a small organization. Um, our budget is uh, five, six million. Uh, there are other organizations that are over 100 million, so we're small. We can't be in all 28 countries. And we're in the bus- a very expensive business of bringing delegations of politicians to Israel. Each politician is around three, $4,000 to bring to Israel for a week in an appropriate mm-hmm. hotel or appropriate tour guide. You know, mm-hmm. th- th- this is costly. So if you calculate 120 members of parliament from France, what that costs our small organization is very significant, but we do it because we believe that the most important thing we can do is bring leaders to Israel to meet Israeli leaders. And, wh- and who, who have you not done yet that you really look forward to doing? So we're, 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 fo- we're focused on four core countries. So mm-hmm. Germany, uh, France, uh, Brussels, obviously the EU institutions. We also have a, a smaller office in Poland, which is supposed to be our outpost to Eastern Europe that is so very important in the Visegrad uh, countries, right. all groupings of different European countries that are uh, more supportive of Israel. Of course, we have a, pri- a, a big crisis with, with Poland that needs to be resolved and hopefully will be mm-hmm. uh, resolved. So we have four full-time offices. But those offices radiate to other countries as well. So we have programs in another three, in, in Spain, in the UK, of course. Uh, we're moving into Italy because Italy is becoming more and more important for Israel, but also in the European context. So we're in seven countries with operations in, in more than that. But we really need to get to the point, Israel or the pro-Israel world, we need to get to the point where we have a network that can cover all 28 countries. And we don't have to establish full-time offices in each and every one of them. But we establish cooperation agreements with other pro-Israel groups. Oh, on the like continent. A- AJC, ADL. Of course, yeah. and, and we try to cooperate with as many of these organizations as we can. And uh, uh, when we have events, many organizations join us, like BICOM in the UK and uh, NGO Monitor that works with us on on some of the research that needs to be done, and so on. Um, and and other groups that are less known, that are smaller groups in France. There's a a, a jurist group, a group of of Jewish lawyers that is fighting back against BDS, which is against the law in France. Mm. So there's a legal process that needs to take place here. Um, so there, there are many coalitions. Uh, and my goal and our goal is to see a much broader network that can help Israel in each and every one of these countries. But currently we're in four and four full-time offices. And what those offices do is, is basically address that gap. The 10% of Europeans that come to Israel, let's get those numbers up. Mm-hmm. So if we're bringing 25% of the French parliament to Israel, that's getting those numbers up. Mm. Because 10% came, it's a 90% missed opportunity. Do you have a wish list, a dream list, like some parliament member in Germany that you're dreaming of bringing, somebody who might be a problem person, if you will, from... Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, look, you know, Germany's going through transition. Uh, uh, we all know that Merkel has announced that she's retiring uh, uh, next year. She's going to have a succession process. We already know who 
will be replacing her. The CDU party, which is the, the ruling party in Germany, um, is, is, um, is, is a very significant force, but there are other parties and there's a generational change in Germany. And we need to reach, just like in the United States, the younger generation, the millennials, the post-millennials, to try to find ways to explain, convey to them the importance of Israel and their relationship with Israel. Uh, look at the UK. I mean, it's 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 very speaking very of the UK. Scary. When you go into the inner sanctum of Elnet and you have your private meetings where nobody's allowed to repeat anything, do you ever talk about let's get Jeremy Corbyn to Israel? If it was possible, it would be nice. But Jeremy Corbyn has a very very long and and uh, uh, troublesome history, both with Israel and Jewish people, and and beyond that, with the United States and the West. Right. Uh, if if Corbyn becomes prime minister in the UK, we're going to have a mess on our hands uh, on multiple levels. Uh, he's a supporter of Hamas and Hezbollah. He, uh, I don't I don't need to go through the whole litany sure. of, of the things that he's done and said. <clears throat> the international uh, uh, definition of anti-Semitism has parts that he disagrees with, which has mm -hmm. caused a walkout from his party. Uh, things like accusing Jews of dual loyalty is not anti-Semitism in his eyes. Mm -hmm. uh, comparing Jews to Nazis is not anti-Semitism in his eyes. I mean, these kinds of things that are so significantly poisonous are going to have to be addressed. And it's right around the corner. Yeah. So the UK is a big challenge. So What do you do when someone looks like beyond the pale and yet they're potentially very powerful? Does any Jewish group have a relationship with them, like ADL, AJC, or you guys? Are you? Is it worth reaching out, or is this irredeemable? Uh, in this, in his case, uh, unfortunately, it seems to be irredeemable, uh, but uh, and that's a problem. But there are other cases in Europe where we do have to balance uh, interests and be very careful in traversing that ground. But Israel needs support, and it needs to pursue its national interests. But it needs to balance that with with all of these forces in Europe uh, uh, that are very, very complex, and some of them are very troublesome. I heard an amazing statement from somebody from Elnet that the organization started clearly like pro-Israel, and it was just really about Israel, and just like APAC, you know, an Israel group. And then circumstances evolved so that the world forced you. It wasn't just about Israel anymore. It was about anti-Semitism because they connected Israel and Judaism. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So it's like now you're fighting anti-Semitism, David, we don't whether you like it or not. Well, uh, it used to be that we focused on Israel only, and it had to be bilateral relations, Israel and Europe, very similar to the APAC model in the United States. But it turns out that uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism are completely intertwined. And now it's it's globally recognized. And President Macron himself said two, three weeks ago in front of the Kreef in his major speech after uh, the, the cemeteries were desecrated with the swastikas that we all remember those, those horrifying images. And he himself said that anti-Zionism is a form of anti-Semitism and it needs to be fought. What a tragic so, irony, David. If Herzl was here to listen to this, he spends his whole life fighting for a thing, a state that's going to eliminate anti-Semitism. In his view, having our own sovereign place where nobody could bother us would be the the remedy for anti-Semitism. And now it's being used as arguably the number one instrument to perpetuate uh, anti-Semitism. What an irony. It is a big irony. Uh, and again, our, our relationship, Zionism was born in Europe. So our relationship with Europe is from the beginning and very, very complex. Uh, uh, and look, I think we need to also look at, at, at the world as it is. Uh, Anti-Semitism anti has been with, with us. David, for how long? You're, you're an historian. It's well, over 3,000, yeah. th since, since the dawn of Christianity. 
That's for and, sure. And, okay, so even before. Now, uh, this is not something that is just going to go away uh, because of the creation of, 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 of the Jewish state, which is uh, obviously a, a, an enormous historical uh, occasion, uh, but it can be contained, and we can fight back. And just like crime will never disappear, and the evil in, in man and, and, and women will never disappear, but we can create uh, codes of, of conduct uh, that will make it much more difficult uh, for those that espouse these, 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 these ideologies. You know, our friend uh, Mika Goodman said something interesting once, see if I can remember it well enough, that uh, America is more of a Protestant country, uh, Old Testament. The founders of America, you know, read the Old Testament a lot. And Europe is more of a New Testament country. It's more Catholic, right? So the idea with the Old Testament and the Protestant uh, ethic, it's more based on personal responsibility, whereas the New Testament and the Catholic ethic is more uh, sort of honors the victim and turn the other cheek. So you can see how fundamentally there's sort of a different mindset, the American mindset and the European mindset. So when you see them fight so hard for the rights of the oppressed and the Palestinians and the refugees and so forth, there is something behind all that. And I think that's probably one of the obstacles that you have is that Israel today, with all its power and its strength, doesn't look like a victim. That's true. You know. and, and it's an irony and a, and a paradox that Israel has to deal with every day and the representatives of Israel have to deal with every day. If, if we're so powerful, why are we so vulnerable? Uh, and it's, you know, like Michael Oren used to uh, say, it's the best of times and the worst of times all at the same time. <laughs> right. And, and look, at, look at the reality of Israel right now. I mean, just in, in two minutes, David, uh, you know, uh, we have Iran in Syria. We have a Russian superpower on Israel's doorstep. Um, um, the rest of the West is, is, is hard to find these days. Israel's contending not only with the local forces across the border, but also with a major superpower, uh, and, and we need to find ways to, to work with that. Uh, Iran is pushing uh, per precision-guided missiles into our, uh, into our region that will cover Israel, and these missiles can pinpoint targets all over the country, and we're trying to stop that, and we're, we've been very successful on our own in pushing back and making sure that Iran cannot fulfill these plans with tunnels under the ground into mm -hmm. Israel that we just exposed. I mean, just think about what happened in 2018. We were in a hot, direct confrontation with Iran for the first time in Israel's history. Mm -hmm. And we, we hit back at 70 targets when they, when they fired rockets into Israel. A few weeks ago, we, uh, my friends were skiing on the Hermon, and there was a surface-to-surface -surface Iranian rocket fired into <laughs> Israel, missile fired into Israel, precision. And it was interdicted by, by Israel's uh, aerial defense or, or missile defense systems. Uh, thanks to American support. So we're in a place where Israel remains vulnerable while it's still very, very strong. Uh, and we have to be very vig vigilant every day. And we have to be vigilant about the fact that a million Jews still live in Europe. Some will leave, some will stay, some will go with America, some will come to Israel. There are 550,000 550, Jews in France. And they feel anti-Semitism every day. Mm. Um, there was a, a report came out yesterday. N nine out of ten French students reported some kind of anti-Semitic. Oh, it's uh, the numbers are terrifying, and the percentages yeah. in all the public opinion polls, including those conducted by the European Union, mm -hmm. when they survey the Jewish communities across the continent, it is very clear that anti-Semitism is 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 alive and and well and kicking and dangerous. And we need to push back. And it must drive you nuts when you see the, the UN commissions in Brussels and Geneva 
uh, take 80, 90% of all their condemnations are always against Israel. And they just, it's like relentless. It's getting to the point now where people just assume that they're going to do something that discriminates against the Jewish state. Our friend Hillel Neuer in Geneva is always fighting that. They stopped Anne Bashevsky yesterday. For, forgive me, I'm not pronouncing your last name right. They interrupted yeah, her right. talk. Uh, mm -hmm. It must drive you nuts when you see that. Is that part of your canvas dealing with these, what's going on in Brussels and Geneva when they discriminate against Israel with their condemnations? Of course. And, yeah. and, and this is part of the threat because it's fueling this process. We're talking about a UN blacklist that will be published at some point. Um, they keep delaying it because of various pressures in the world, but there is a blacklist. Uh, of international companies that operate in Israel uh, that will be under tremendous pressure to divest from their operations in Israel once this uh, blacklist comes out. Now, we have the structures in place, again, to fight back, mm -hmm. because in France that would be illegal. And there are courts, and there's a government, and there's a parliament, and there are hearings, and there are committees, and there are politicians. And, and we'll you keep, have attorneys at Elnet. And we have attorneys at Elnet, and we'll have the, organizations in Israel that will look deeply at everything that is happening, and mm -hmm. we will fight back. So you're kind of almost like an orchestra conductor where you take all the resources that you need from different places and, and rally them uh, to the cause. Yes. Uh, the idea is to have a strategic network that is in place, that is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of politicians, that when you need them, you can mobilize them uh, depending on the threat and opportunity that you see. Well, make sure there's someone at Elnet that keeps feeding the Jewish Journal with sort of uh, metrics results from what you're doing, because this is really important to us and our readers, because we hear all the bad news. We'd like to hear some good news in terms of here's what was done, and here's how it helped, and here's the result. I'm going to make a bold statement. I think we're at a place now that we can really choke these guys off. Look, they're fighting them online. They're fighting them in legislation. They're fighting them in the parliament. Uh, we're defunding groups. We're pressuring the, the European governments to take a look at these tens of millions of, of euros, dollars, that they're, that they're funding these radicalized organizations that are causing the, this mm -hmm. trouble and poisoning the minds of people. So we're at a place where we can cut, choke it off. Mm -hmm. We're at a place that we could choke it off. But what we need to do is bring more delegations, assemble more legislators, assemble more politicians that see eye to eye with Israel, uh, in order to fight back. And this is the only way to do it, unless, you know, we just turn around and just ignore it and, and let it engulf us from every direction. So, uh, David, you're still doing the same thing, Tachlis. <laughs> <laughs> you're still Mr. Tachlis. For those of you who don't know Tachlis, although I'm a Sephardic Jew, I know enough Yiddish to know that Tachlis means just being really practical and doing what needs to be done. And one of, one of the uh, embodiment of Tachlis is self-interest. But then the other one is the one you've just talked about for the past few minutes, which is dealing with the laws already in place and to make sure that the laws and regulations that are already in place are enforced. Exactly. Yeah. And enforcement is the key. And enforcement is hard. And you can't just do this in one day. Enforcement means building relationships, sowing the seeds, building networks, being everywhere in the foreign ministries, in the defense ministries, in the parliaments, to make sure that it's enforced so that the Jewish people are protected and that Israel is in a better place vis-a-vis -vis, uh, continents like Europe. So you're loving this job? I love it. Yeah, it looks like it. I love like to see it. results. <laughs> it's true. No, it looks like this is uh, right up your alley. What's it like? You were here for five years. I mean, you were completely immersed in our culture here in California. Your kids were here. And then now you're where, in Tel Aviv? Well, we live outside of Jerusalem. Outside, okay. And uh, I work in Tel Aviv, so it's a commute every day. So it's nice to see Israel on the road every morning. 
but the most amazing thing about going back to Israel is, is seeing what happens to the kids. And uh, one of my kids is in the army now, in a, in a very yeah. special place doing very important things. And you see the impact on the kids and, and, and how they grow and develop uh, mm -hmm. through, through their experience in Israel. And that's very, very gratifying to us as parents, which makes me doubly patriotic uh, and, and believing in it. Look, there's, there's something very special about taking your kid to the army every Sunday morning and seeing the entire country on the move and an entire generation of 18-year-olds to 21-year-olds, everyone with tags on their shoulders, knowing where they're going, completely driven, uh, doing very, very significant things for the country. And you see that this is, this is one of the secret elements of the secret sauce of Israel, of the startup nation. It's that commitment, that dedication, that those long hours that these kids work for a greater cause for two years, three years, if they become officers longer, and they and they 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 grow very quick, and they become they they they're tasked with huge responsibilities very very early on when they're 18, 19 years old, and you see this throughout their lives. But unlike most Israeli kids, your kids were interrupted by five years in La La Land. <laughs> what was that like? You know, I mean, that's a that's a big deal, David. Like right in the middle of your growth, you know, grade school, high school. You spent five years in, in Hollywood, in L.A., in Beverly Hills, and, and then all of a sudden you go back to Israel. Was, was Not there a easy. culture shock? Ye well, there was, sure, and certainly for the kids. Because like five, a whiplash. Five years is the, basically their entire lives, right? You know, At uh, that age. But it's, it's possible. It takes, some, it takes some work. You uh, were telling me earlier, one of your kids saying, oh, I can't wait to go back to L.A., but that's not happening anymore. It's not well, more saying. and more, uh, uh, I think uh, our kids are becoming uh, cultured and, and proud of where they are and what they're doing. We'll always have a heart, a piece of our heart in the United States. I personally loved working here as Consul General of Israel in all of the communities, and certainly in our community, in the Jewish community, or as, as I call the Jewish communities, mm -hmm. because there are many, many, many diverse Jewish communities in this town and in Southern California, from Mexicans to Argentinians oh, yeah. to Sephardi you to Persian them all. to uh, all streams of Judaism and try to bring them all around one table. It's a lot of fun. It's like herding cats, but even herding, even cats can learn to be herded, and, and, and we did that, and, and it's something I'm very proud of. Well, it's great to have you here in the studio, and uh, welcome your continued uh, feedback from what's happening in Europe. We're very interested in everything you're doing, David, so I just want to invite you to keep sending us stuff at uh, the Jewish Journal, and next time you're in L.A., we'll do an update report. Terrific. Thank, Thank you. Looking forward. Okay. Take care. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach for Purim. <laughs> 